0: tribe this week is a very special guest if if you are new here to our podcast my name is tino alexa and i am an emergency preparedness coach a best-selling author a financial expert and an app developer of your backup plan app and i'm located here in vancouver bc you can expect product reviews tutorials workshops tips and tricks and especially interviews on my channel with real-life people and their real-life stories. So if you're new here, please go ahead and click on the link down below. And don't forget to tap on the bell if you would like to have notifications for our upcoming videos and um, podcasts. So thank you, thank you. I would love to introduce Lark Dean Galley from Utah.
1: Yes, Salt Lake City, Utah.
0: From Salt Lake City, Utah at our podcast this week. And she is a new author, so congratulations on that. You have a new book out called Learning to Breathe Again. Yes. And I would like to welcome you to our show, Lark.
1: Thank you, Tina. I appreciate it. And uh, honestly, if you had told me 20 months ago that I would be on your show and I would have this book, And i would be talking about suicide prevention i would have said not me i am not your girl right Uh, that was not something that i ever considered i would be able to talk about and uh, unfortunately that's what my book is about it's about my 19 year old son's suicide Uh, it's been a a journey with a lot of grief but a lot of healing as well and my book just launched as you mentioned and i I am grateful for the opportunity to share the things that I have learned and to share my son's story in the hope that it helps other people. And by doing that, it's provided healing for me.
0: I can really, I really understand how that comes about um, because we have to somehow, when you're in the midst of it happening to you, you don't know where you're going to find the strength. You don't know how. You want to turn this story around to help other people because you're so intensely, you feel like you're going underwater. That's how I visualize it. You're just like sinking and sinking. And how do I bring myself back up Mm -hmm. and help other people? And that's why I think your book is just amazing.
1: Thank you. And just like you said, you know, the title Learning to Breathe Again, because it felt like I couldn't even breathe. I had to remind myself to take a breath and everything, when you're going through a difficult time, everything is hard, even breathing, which should be easy, but it's not. And that's what I want to explain to people is that sometimes things happen in life and we're not prepared for them. We don't expect or see them coming. Have we built a resiliency reserve? Have we set up skills for ourselves that will allow us to make it through the hard times?
0: No, we haven't. Because, You're right, we haven't. <laughs> you know, and I say that all, all the time to people, we haven't, and, and I can honestly say that we think we're Superman. We all do. And, uh, and we don't think we need to prepare for something that's not gonna happen. But it happened to you.
1: It did, you know? Um, and so this, my son died by suicide, 19-year-old son, in March, 2019. And just over five years prior to that, my father died by suicide, which he had been dealing with bipolarity, uh, ups and downs. And when he passed away, that was kind of shocking, even though we knew he had been struggling and had talked about this suicide ideation for many years. Um, and as we talked before the show, he left you know, with no will in place. He did have a document leaving me his small trucking company but it, it was very difficult for me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I went into five months of dark depression. And now that I look back, I can realize I was in a depression because I don't know how my kids got fed. <laughs> I, I would go to meetings and two days after the meeting, I would look at my notes and I would say, that's my writing, but I don't remember what these notes mean. And I don't even remember being in the meeting and you know for crazy that is crazy and you know for someone I feel like I'm pretty successful professional you know one of these like yeah I got it all together and when you look back and you're like man I had nothing together right I was barely hanging on and that that was really difficult so when my son suet outside happened I started to go into that black hole but because I had been there and I knew that my family, might not survive if I went into a dark hole and I didn't come out I wasn't there to support and help them would I have them in five months or would they also choose suicide because it's it's a tricky and hard thing all the emotions that run after someone dies by suicide the people that are left behind are thinking why didn't I see it why didn't I know why wasn't I enough to help and I know that my family members, my other children, my husband—they were all feeling that way.
0: And, and do you see it coming at all? Like looking back, can you see it coming, but not when you're in it?
1: Well, you know, looking back a little bit, I can. So three and a half years before my son took his life, he was uh, 15, almost 16. He was having a parental conversation with my husband. It, he was starting it sophomore year. And, The husband was like, okay. And my husband's military. So it's like, you know, you got to buck up, you got to do this and this, and this, you got to toe the line type conversation. And my husband's been trained in um, suicide awareness, being in the military. And he saw my son detach. And my husband had the presence of mind to say, are you feeling suicidal? And my son admitted yes. And so he came in, he said, you know, Lark, Christian's feeling suicidal, spend some time with him. I'm going to go call the military hotline, suicide hotline. And he got him an appointment for a therapist the next day. I took him to the therapist. And over the course of the next two months, you know, he got therapy at the end. He's like, mom, I'm fine. We're good. I don't need it anymore. And one of my biggest regrets is that when he, from the time he told me he was fine for the next three and a half years, I never had another conversation about his mental health. Oh dear. And that's a regret because I found out after he died from a therapist, I found out that when someone has, is feeling depressed and then they start to feel better, it's because they have a plan to kill themselves. And my son had a plan and he just went through life with with the plan in the back of his mind, thinking when it gets hard, I've got a plan, I've got a way out, so I'm good. And he had a series of events happen all at once, which, you know, as a 19 year old, you can't see past tomorrow. And he thought, why even bother? Why even try to go forward? I'm just going to, you know, it's too much. I'm going to give up. And so he just executed his plan. And so do you think it's ha- you know ever changed? Do you think, you know- I think in the beginning, the plan that he had with the therapist in the beginning, it was to hang himself. And I think and he ended up shooting himself, which
0: oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think it was just it, it was just a means to an end, right? He he was a very smart kid. He could have done a hundred different ways. He he, you know, if you're going to find a way to do it, you're gonna do it. And males tend to be more violent than females, and therefore they tend to be more successful at following through, unfortunately. And I think uh,
0: I get scared. <laughs>
1: yeah you know and, and a lot of women they do they do pills or something like that right and other people find them and they they are able to save them because of the longer time period whereas males pretty much you know it's over pretty quickly and and so I look back and and I have my regrets but I also realized that because my husband had the presence of mind to call call out my son and use the hard words not are you going to hurt yourself but use the hard words are you considering suicide and my son being willing to answer yes we got another three and a half years with my son that's the way I look at it
0: absolutely and do you think that others should be also being more out in the open and having those discussions
1: yes and that's why I started talking about this with my father's suicide I couldn't talk about it a lot of my close friends didn't even know that's how he actually died And with my son's suicide, I realized I had to talk about it because, you know, at first I felt the shame and the stigma around the whole suicide thing. But then what happens is, is if we don't talk about it, and if we don't create a safe space for people to be willing to share when they hurt, then they go into the place where they feel like I'm isolated. I'm the only one who feels this way. And that's not the case, right?
0: Well, all, all struggle especially for covid right now yes, yes. i think we're we are all feeling even when we don't have any mental
1: mm-hmm. yes you're feeling isolated right
0: you feel lonely you feel mm-hmm. alone you you know yes. all of these different feelings mm-hmm. i can't remember the last time i hugged someone
1: you know and those are exactly what contributes to people turning towards suicide um uh, shortly after the lockdown started there was a an article put out by a therapist in San Francisco who said that suicide attempts are up by 30%. That was back in end of March, right? So you can only imagine what's been going on. So this has been a difficult year. And, and if people are struggling, they need to understand they're not the only ones, You know, especially I wanna say youth and young adults, uh, they're uncertain. They have a lot of fear. They don't know what their future is going to hold. And we need to be especially sensitive to them, to that age group.
0: And where would someone go to feel like you 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 could get that child some help? Where where would you turn to?
1: So, first of all, you can Google resources within your city or your providence, state, that type of thing. I, as I'm talking about my story, then I had a lot of parents say okay, thank you for alerting me. Now where can I go? And I was thinking, I don't know where can you go so i created a tab on my website that talks about resources and just uh, recently i have started to do some courses put together some courses with a clinical psychologist who has um has some classes on parenting we're doing some classes on suicide so that they're just online it's very affordable and we're talking about how as a parent, you can be alert to this. How as a coworker or just uh, you can see it in your friends, maybe siblings, what can you do to be aware that it's going on and what can you do to maybe help them? And then also, let's say that it happens and you you've lost a loved one. How can you make it through the grief and, and finding reason to go on? So there's that. I also have a mental wellness assessment that people can take and a few other things that were websites with regards to suicide prevention. Because I, I thought there, people need different things, yeah. different stages. And, and if there are some resources out there, I want to make them available for people to, to tap into.
0: Um, do you, oops, I lost you. Oh no. There we go. Okay. Um, do you think um, um, suicide is different than drug overdose?
1: you know, so that there is two different things there in, in some ways it drug overdose is a suicide, maybe in an unintentional, just like an alcoholic can be unintentional suicide, right? They're, they're killing themselves in some way. Um, months after my son died, my neighbor just up the street, her adult daughter died by suicide, um, probably an unintentional drug overdose. Right. And that's heartbreaking. You know, my, my, friend was affected just as badly as i was and you know looking at that it once again you know was she doing it on purpose or not either way what i want to point out is when somebody attempts to take their life or they do take their life they're not in their right mind and we need to give them compassion not judgment and say what was going on in their life that they felt so empty and they had so much pain that they were looking for a way to numb the pain to help them cope, or or to get them away, the a way out. Yes, yes. So that's something that I've really learned is that let's be compassionate for those who hurt.
0: Right, because um, I find the brain an interesting thing in general, because um, your judgment's different than their judgment and their opinion. Yes, and so um, it's hard as a parent, I presume to think well why would he want to kill himself like Mm -hmm. that makes no sense right you because they're 16 or 19 and they have their whole world ahead of them and they have a comfortable home and they might be good at school so there's no real um line of this is what's going to happen to this Mm -hmm. person it's all very hidden inside of them
1: Right. It's it's like the iceberg, right? We see just the top and we don't see everything underneath. And I went to a bereaved mother seminar about six months after my son died. And at that seminar, you know, with all the other bereaved mothers, every single one of them said, my child was a very sensitive child. And so if you think about that, maybe the ones who have taken their lives, they're almost empaths. They're sensitive. They're very kind. They're ones that reach out quickly to help others because they feel so much pain they see it in other people and and that's something to be aware of that when somebody is is they're just they seem like a, a kind person and they seem overly happy almost because they're trying to make other people happy because they hurt so much and so when someone like Robin Williams takes his life mm-hmm. you're thinking Why did that happen? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Wasn't he happy? Wasn't he a comedian? Wasn't he all this? And yet he was hurting so badly.
0: And so many, there's, there's really no telltale sign for anyone, whether you're a celebrity, whether you're a comedian, whether you're a singer, whether you're, you're, you're high school, is there a difference between your dad's age and your son's age for, for, um, the same type of thing like is is there a difference
1: well what's interesting is that the in in the united states high number of suicides are youth and young adults but then also your middle age say you're 45 to 60 year old men now my father was older he was you know in his early early 70s but uh it's that age where maybe a man has lost his job or he's lost his ability to provide for his family, or maybe he's lost his, his family, You know, life divorces him or whatever. He's lost his identity and he feels like he's a burden and he can't go on. And, and what's the point if he can't provide? That is a huge segment of the population that is taking their life. And then you have the, the young adults, the kids and the young adults who are, who are also taking their life. So they're, they're struggling, but for different reasons.
0: Okay. Um, do you Did you find the preparation any different for an adult versus a, a teenager?
1: So for my father, you know, him being um, bipolar, he talked about suicide. He talked about taking his life, you know, uh, he was always up and down. He was on medication. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And he was, he was uh, just struggled a lot. And even though he was making progress it was something where I felt at some point he's probably going to end his life that I kind of thought that um, and like I said with regards to his you would think as an adult that you would have you would just think that you know that you would have things or, ordered and in line for when you're going to leave I mean we're all going to exit this life. You know, it's, it's, nobody's getting out, you know, alive, right. We're right. all, you know, and if you're older, especially you're getting closer to that would think that someone with, with children, with, um, with a business would have better prepared. And quite frankly, he did not prepare at all. So it was quite a burden on me uh, taking over the estate and trying to settle the debts and figure things out and all the assets. And I would find, different things that nobody knew about you know stuck away over here and over there and uh, so I would say you know let's get your affairs in order please for the sake of those you leave behind so that you don't have squabbles amongst the children and that your wishes can be followed through that that's a huge key and then with my son he was 19 and for all of my kids who turned 18 because of HIPAA regulations and Uh, I'm responsible financially, but, you know, I can't talk to the doctors about their medical stuff, which I find, you know, ironic. Um, So I had each of them sign a document that said that their father and I had financial power of attorney and medical power of attorney, which is fine Mm -hmm. as long as they're still alive. But what we found out after my son died was that those those were not in effect basically our children should have had a will Mm
0: -hmm.
1: once they're over 18 even if they still live at home they need a will so that if something happens to them you know and you think oh it would never happen well you know it it could and it does or a car accident for that matter right any any something could happen Mm -hmm. and so that would have you know in in our case uh it was pretty, I mean, my son still lived at home. There wasn't a lot of assets outside. Anything like his bank account and and his car title had my husband's name jointly on them. But what if he had been, you know, just on his own? Then you have to wait for the death certificate. You have to, you know, go 30 days, etc. it And it could have been problematic. He didn't really have a lot that we had to deal with.
0: So but, if they're in their 20s, you know, it, it becomes more... Uh, difficult because they have their own vehicle. They might have their own apartment or living in a suite or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. and yeah. And
1: then here's another thing I'll point out is unbeknownst to me, my father had made me uh, his medical power of attorney, which, you know, I did not know. So I'm just would like to say, if you're going to do that, especially to a child, not to a spouse, my father wasn't married to my mom anymore. Let them know in advance. Right. Because I got the call that said, you need to come to the hospital. Your father's in the ICU. He's intubated and you have medical power attorney. And within just a couple hours, I was making the decision to turn off the machines. It would have been very nice to have been mentally, emotionally prepared for that long before that time.
0: And, you know, in our blueprint program that your backup plan app has coming. It will also include how to have a family meeting. And because not only do we have to get better prepared for our own self, but like you said, we need to get those that are around us prepared. And it, it, there's a worksheet and you just literally fill out the blank spots and tick off the boxes. And it guides you through the whole process of asking those questions that are sometimes difficult.
1: You know, and and, and I can understand for some people, they
0: don't wanna talk about
1: it. The first 10 years of my marriage with my husband, he would not talk about a will, he wouldn't talk about anything. And it was frustrating to me because I'm just thinking it just makes sense. It's good financial sense, right? But he did not want to face his mortality.
0: No and women so. uh, women um i classify women as a bird so birds want to have their nest and we want to feel secure yes. but men there's never going to be anything that happens to them so why did they I need, need
1: about... to worry. <laughs> i agree you know and and like i said what i realized with my father's passing and him not having really anything in order the kindest thing you can do for those you leave behind is to have All your affairs in order as much as possible because the people left behind are already dealing with this emotional burden don't don't put any more burden on them than Mm -hmm. than that's already feeling you know uh like i said with my father's suicide five months of depression i i wasn't even functioning and because i was dealing with the emotional burden trying to deal with his his estate all the finances and then you throw in my siblings you know, who are having different issues with my father's passing. And it was a mess. A gong show. Yes. Honestly, it was a mess. And now we have, there's seven children and some of us talk to each other and some of us don't. And, you know, it's one of those things where things just unraveled and fell apart. And that's not what any parent wants for their children. Right?
0: No. And I, I do tell people, that our parents to consider when they leave it, And it's hard to have this concept because we don't think we're going to leave the earth, right? Ever, <laughs> but, but we are at some point. Yes. And I have this conversation with everyone, uh, probably in every single podcast to have that family meeting, but not only that, but discuss it on a point of who you can love and trust around you um, to help you with that process, because you, I always say to people, do you want it left the way, the way um, that you, you know, you might, every family has its dysfunction.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, there's not every, any family that's perfect. Right. And do you want that worse? Yes. Do you want, do you want that whole concept? Do you want that? Cause not only does it take it into this generation, but then it's passed to the next one as well.
1: Exactly, and it and it can just it can either be good or bad based on how you've set it up and prepared and had the conversation, you know. And it could be, hey, let's get together, kids, adult children, or whatever. And uh, when I pass away, I've promised this piece of furniture to this child and this to this child, just so we're all clear. So there's no fighting or he said, she said, or mom said this because it just makes it worse.
0: Right because everybody has their opinions after and it doesn't even have to be around money it could be around a watch or a cup and a saucer or
1: and can I just say that you know having seen this firsthand and having seen this in other families money or emotions they just they go they go crazy in this kind of situation and it, it gets kind of out of control right
0: yeah and how was looking after did your son have social media because that's another hard, difficult task. After
1: you know what he did, yes, and I just let it go. I mean, I don't have logins. Um, a friend of his reached out to me and said, "Hey, I think somebody's getting into one of his his um, one of his accounts. I don't even know picture accounts. You know, maybe you should do something about it." And I'm thinking, ah, there's not much I can do about it. So it's just you know, whatever's there is there. Um, his Facebook account is still up, which is fine because if I create things about him or, you know, when I put, when I publish my book, I tag him in it so that his friends can see what's going on. And, and hopefully they, they can feel that there. They so, can feel
0: the progress.
1: Yes, exactly. And, um, and so he, he didn't have too much for me personally on my Facebook account. There's an option there that gives me the ability to turn it over to my, my adult daughter to kind of take care of whatever she wants to take care of Uh, my husband's not the kind of social media techie guy by any stretch of the imagination he's not the one that would do that but yeah I can at least turn that over so that's something that you should consider is who in the family do you trust enough you know to, to and you've had talks about your wishes because maybe you want your social media up there and you don't care but maybe other people would like to have access to certain things so
0: right and we are in the digital world now i mean let's face it if if your dad passes away um and even if you can get into his house where's the stuff
1: yes (laughs) yeah exactly you know you need to have files um and so after my my father passed away i put together uh the family estate the family plan um our older daughter is the one who's then she's fiscally responsible she's you know she's already doing it herself so We've made her our executor um, with some some other help so she can go to and, and meet with attorneys if she needs to. And But we've laid out exactly how things will go and we've had a family discussion with all the children so that they know what's going to happen and, and how things are gonna go down and I'll put it together in a binder and said to her, if something happens to us, this is where you go and this is right. where it is.
0: Right, and that's what I help people do. Mm-hmm um but why do we have to learn the hard way before exactly we realize how to do it
1: yep exactly and i, I like i said i just the terrible emotions, the black yeah. hole the the dissolving of relationships family relationships uh the for the sake yes the grieving for the sake of those you love and that are left behind this is the kindest thing you can do for them
0: absolutely um what what um would you give for a tip during covid time for people
1: yes uh you know exactly what's going on with covid is is the precursor to a lot of suicides they isolate they physically isolate mentally isolate they don't reach out i think the next best thing to getting together physically is is something like a zoom or a facetime because I can't touch you, but at least we're interacting, right? And it's more than just a phone call,
0: or more than call just a text. Phone. Yes,
1: call yes. Phone. Yep. a phone call is better than a text and, you know, a, and a FaceTime is better than just a phone call, right? And to do something where you're having some kind of interactions with a human person, at least every day somehow, right? So that it reminds you that you're emotionally connected, you're physically connected. And hopefully, you know, if you have someone in your home, physical touch is important. It is so important.
0: Yeah.
1: The, the hugs can actually release endorphins that help you, right? A, a pet. We have, we have a, an older cat and I joke that it's my husband's um, support animal, which it very, you know, it sort of is. Um, if you can get a pet you know, especially something like a cat or something that's going to allow you to have that touch and to to feel comfort. That's important too.
0: Yes, that's really important. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think with suicide, is there any, because you've done so much research, do they just come out with this idea or is it over time? Like how does... Right. So I think
1: all of us have at one time said, I just wanna end it, it's too hard, it's not worth it, right? We sort of react to the situation, we say it, do we mean it, not, not usually, right? And within 24 hours, we're like, okay, we can go on. Um, is it chronic though? Do we have these suicidal thoughts over and over, day after day? That's where we seriously need to get some help. Um, I remember one time being so upset, so angry, that I was like, I want to end it. But, you know, I didn't come up with a plan. It's when people come up with a plan of how they would actually carry it out. And it's these continual day after day thinking about it. Get a therapist, you know, there's nothing wrong with talking to someone and saying, I'm thinking this, give me your feedback. Am I crazy? And somebody says, yeah, you could be like a little crazy because you've got all this stuff going on. And let's give you some tools to help you manage this. Because I promise there are so many emotions and so many lives are damaged and broken when someone dies by suicide, that pain that they're feeling. And I'm not trying to mitigate that pain. They are feeling real pain that just transfers to them from them to the other people in their life. Right. And it messes up the other people's lives really bad
0: is it considered a selfish act
1: you know what it's not and this is what happens most people who die by suicide they're thinking i'm a burden to my family my family would be better off you know mothers fathers who take their lives they're thinking that their their children and their spouse will be better off in what world is that true right that's not that just messes them up and so but they really believe in their logical mind that's not being logical at all, they really believe that that is the case. They believe they're doing their family, their loved ones a favor, and that's not the case.
0: And then for the people that are left behind, all you can do is feel so, um, gosh, what's the word for it? Grief, um, there's just well, so much yeah, grief. There is grief, but you feel, it's difficult to talk about it um, because right. you have regret, and you feel embarrassed, mm-hmm. and you feel. Um, I'm trying, to, there's so many words. Yes. Well, you feel so many things. And for example, like in my book,
1: I talk about the relationship with my son, which every day that boy argued with me. You know, so it's not one of these happy stories where, you know, we were so loving and close together. It's like, no, he like knew how to push my button, right? <laughs> every day. And yet, through writing his story, through sharing his story, I feel like we have healed our relationship. I feel closer to him now than before he died. I feel his spirit with me. I feel that he wants this story shared so that people will choose something else. That's that's important to him. And and so all of these emotions that come up after the death, it's almost overwhelming. And in some cases, it can be overwhelming for. For loved ones who lose someone by suicide.
0: Especially if you're alone. Yes. Already. Yes. That that must be really devastating.
1: You know what? And I didn't know this, but when someone in your family dies by suicide, it increases the chances of someone else in the family dying by suicide by 50%. Wow. I didn't know that, right? And I'll tell you why. Because like I've I've felt this way. Oh, my son did it, he's done. Is it an option for me? It suddenly becomes an option because someone in your family did it, someone you know did it. And that's that's not good. We wanna take the option off the table. Let's look at other options to help you get free from pain.
0: And give you a toolbox. Yes, yes. Well, it's it's really, a, you know, I think the only good thing that's come out of it is all the celebrities have really brought it to the forefront. Yes, yes. And I, I'm very grateful for them doing that, even though we've had to lose some to show this point, mm-hmm. because it's tremendously important around the world. It's not isolated to anybody in Yukon. It's not isolated to somewhere in Alaska. You know, it's not isolated to someone in the big city of Toronto or New York or mm-hmm. Vienna, it can be
1: everywhere, mm-hmm.
0: yes. It doesn't matter. And, um, by being better prepared, um, you're also possibly looking at how can you help your whole family as well?
1: Yes. And that was one of the reasons where I just realized I don't have the luxury to go crawl in my bed and stay there. I I honestly don't think all of my family members would have been there if I had chosen that.
0: But- it sounds really good at the time.
1: Oh, it sounds really good. There are some days, even when I'm just like, I don't know if I'm making a difference. I don't know if it matters. You know, I just feel overwhelmed and I want to like have, have the day off, right? Uh, I spent this last weekend up in the mountains and being in nature, that heals my soul. And that helps me. We can't just keep going 24 seven. We're not robots. Right. We're, we're humans. We need to reconnect. And, and we need to take time to do that. And I will tell you the, the huge takeaway that my husband and I have learned through this is that stuff doesn't matter. Your educational degrees, the things you've done at work, all of that does not matter. Uh, we, we've totally just been humbled so low, And we realize that relationships and how we interact with our family members, that has become a priority to us. And love. Yes. It's all about relationships and love and how you parent, how you interact. That's all it's about.
0: And I think of any goodness that's come out of this year, it's definitely for all of us to slow down yes. and appreciate what we have. Yes. And not look at all of that other busy stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I know while I've been doing, working on this project helping other people and families. I've realized too, that people always made excuses. I'm so busy. I've, I've, I've got work. I'm, it takes me an hour to get home every day. And, you know, I don't have time for that. And now all of a sudden we've been given this time. To it's spend a blessing. Together. It's a
1: blessing. It's, I think, just like we went through our trial in 2019 with my son's death. 2020, it's an opportunity of people for people to reevaluate. How do I spend my time? How do I spend my money? What am I doing? Is it really the most important thing? And I think a lot of people have realized the way I was on that hamster wheel, all those things I was doing in the end, they really don't matter. Right. Right. And I hope that people are making different choices going forward let's stop the consumerism, you know, let's reevaluate, do we have to have everything that the neighbor has, honestly, <laughs> reconsider our choices and, and do things that are it's going to heal our soul and bring peace to us.
0: I love outside as well. I'm, I'm right there with you. Yes. I feel that it's necessary. And I think everyone, if, if there's any tip, maybe you could give any listeners of how to get out of that hole that you know, when you're grieving, it doesn't matter if you've lost someone to um, an overdose or suicide or a sickness, even um, it hurts you right down deep into your heart. And, and you really wonder how can you come out of that? And I mean, there's lots of times that some people or listeners might feel like, I don't want to get up. Why don't like, why do I have to get up today? What's the purpose? Why? Why? What does it matter? It, you know, it doesn't matter, and so you start reevaluating those important things. And you really need to find what what makes you tick and what mm-hmm. do you love, and reach right. out to those things.
1: You need to find something bigger than yourself, which I feel like um, trying to help other people who are struggling with suicide ideation that has given me a purpose that is bigger than my pain. Yes, and there there are days when uh, I'm grieving or I'm sad or I. Don't want to keep pushing myself. And I, I give myself grace and I say, okay, that's been enough for today. Tomorrow I can pick it up again. But I, but I do pick it up again. And I remember for as much as it hurts, I know that there are other people who are in worse situations than I am. And it, my motto is things could always be worse. Just be grateful. And that's the other thing is let's find something to be grateful for every day. Because there is something to be grateful for.
0: Absolutely. I, I do it before, when I wake up in the morning and I do that when I go to sleep. Yes. Um, because it, it makes you realize that uh, you're not as bad off as someone else. Yes.
1: You know, And when you start thinking of maybe three things that you're grateful for and you start your day off like that, suddenly the world isn't as dark as you thought. If, if I don't think of what I'm grateful for, it can spiral down. Yeah. But, but there's always something to be grateful for.
0: What do you think was your aha moment of coming out of your journey? Uh,
1: A few days after my son passed away, there were three mothers who reached out to me. They had teenage children who knew my son. And if you're familiar with copycat suicide, specifically among teenagers, I suddenly realized that that this situation was not about me as a parent. What did I do to fail? Why didn't I see it? It wasn't about my son and his struggles. It was about the opportunity to change lives for these children who were hurting and who might have ended their lives. And my thought was, I can't control what they do, but if I do not speak out and they take their life, I, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself. And I realized that that my privacy was not worth the risk of those kids taking their life. And that's when I started to talk out. And I can't tell you how many people have written to me or sent me a text or email and said, "Thank you." Um, I was thinking of taking my life, or I had been struggling, or I, I I was having a hard time, and your post helped me, or you you helped me move past that, and what a blessing for me Mm -hmm. to know that just because I spoke out and was willing to share hard things, it helped someone else.
0: Because it's such a hidden thing. Yes. Yes. How you're feeling and depression, anxiety. um,
1: Nobody wants to hear it. Right. They don't want, they want to hear, Oh, I'm doing great. Things are fine. Right. It's all the facade. And I say, let's strip away the facade. It's okay for you to be real with me.
0: And I think, um, just knowing from my car accident and the brain injuries that I had, it, it shows you that you might look fine to someone, but listeners don't always um, think that just because they're a really good actor, mm-hmm. that that's the way it is because we go visually. And if that person has blood dripping down from their leg then we all of a sudden go, oh, poor you. Oh, can I help you with the door? Can I help you sit down? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if they're struggling mentally, Mm -hmm. there's none of that. And so it just creates this whole illusion of loneliness, I guess. And that's why it's so important to be
1: compassionate. You never know what someone else is going through, right? So just give them grace, be compassionate. And the other thing I've learned is I, I've slowed down a bit, you know, being a, an entrepreneur, type A personality, very intense and always going. Since then, I, I literally have slowed down my life. I don't have a million things to do every day. I just have certain things and I just take care of what needs to be done. And that includes like connecting with people, whether it be a Zoom or uh, in person or family members. And, and really doing what I'm doing right now is just like look in your eyes and, and tell me, how are you mm-hmm. how, how, really, how are you? And having the time that we so often didn't take before yes. to look and slow down. And, and so that, you know, when I ask you, how are you, I want to know, I don't want to just know that you're fine, but really you're hurting. Right.
0: Right. And I don't think we're taught that. No, we're no, definitely.
1: yeah. I made a decision when I left corporate America um, nine years ago, I never wanted to use the word busy again. People would say, oh, Lark, I know you're so busy. And I'm like, no, no, no. I always have things to do, but I am choosing never to be busy again because I want to do those things that matter most. To you. Yes. You know, at the end of the day, connecting matters most. Um, not having a to-do list, not running around. We, we think so often that making a big corporate deal or all of these things outside that they're, they're so wonderful and that, that gives us value. But in the end of the day, that's really not what provides value inside ourselves.
0: No, it's just a tabletop kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you have any tips that Um, I mean, we should all read your book. (laughs) That
1: would be great, yes. (laughs) Um, You know, I would say the the one thing that has helped me is my mindset and is keeping control of my thoughts because what is more difficult to control than our thoughts, right? And so over this past 20 months, whenever I would get that negative thought, he doesn't love me, I was a terrible mom. Why didn't it... Why wasn't it different? I have to catch myself right at the beginning of that thought. Otherwise, I spiral down and I can go into that dark hole. What's easier? To stop that first thought or to let it go into the dark hole? It's easier to go into the dark hole. Oh, absolutely. It's so easy, right? But if I want to be positive, if I want to feel good about the world and myself, if I want to be able to help. Other people help my family. I can't do it from a negative space. And so it's much easier now than in the beginning. In the beginning, it was very easy to go to spiral. Now I'm pretty good about keeping my thoughts there, but it's been a conscientious effort.
0: Every day, every, every day. moment.
1: Every, s. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, thank you for that tip because um, I've actually thought of it trying to be simpler in my own head. And I think everyone has negative and positive mm-hmm. on both sides of your shoulders. My left side is my negative and my right side is my positive. So when a negative thought comes into me, I'll make sure that this right shoulder here stands up and says, mm-hmm. uh-uh. That's right. You're not doing that to me. Yeah,
1: exactly. And you have to make a conscientious decision and, and, and it takes effort. But that's how by your continually doing that that's how you'll come out on top
0: and that's how you'll feel stronger and and find that passion that you thought Mm -hmm. you couldn't find right because grieving is grieving
1: yeah and we have to allow the grief we might you know in my book i talk about that all of my family is grieving differently we're not all the same and we've had to allow each other wherever they're at i can't hurry my family along they can't slow me down right we have to accept where each of them is and and just love and appreciate them for where they are.
0: Do you have you found in your journey so far in your research that um, there's also sometimes a partner? So if someone in your family's taken their life, the other partner will run from it, and so
1: like maybe not talk about it or deny it
0: or leave. Or, you know, I think it happens a lot with finding out you have cancer or Mm -hmm. having a stroke and the other partner just doesn't know how to deal with it.
1: Well, I found this out. This is a statistic is that um, divorce rates increase by 30% when a couple loses a child. However, the child dies, right? And I can totally appreciate that because whatever was hard and difficult before the child dies, it's compounded, you know, a hundred times. And I talk about that moment in my book. I talk about at eight months, my husband and I, we just had to come have a come to Jesus moment, right? Because it was to the point where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore, where you are completely checked out. I I can't live with this person who literally he would work eight hours. He would come home and be on the couch in a comatose state for eight hours and go to bed for eight hours. And i said i can't do this he didn't even realize that's what he was doing i think
0: we i i think that would probably happen a lot is to work more because you are hiding Mm -hmm. yes hiding it it's one way to stay on on topic
1: yes and that's the other thing you know he would go to work just so you know you're at work you can put that behind you right But, but then when you come home you have to deal with it right or or it's there it's present right so it's, there are so many emotions. It is so difficult. I personally believe that my son wished he had made a different choice. And if he could come back, he would, he can't. So he's trying to do what he can to help other people, you know, through me, say, make a different decision, know that your life matters and know that it's important for you to stay.
0: Um, and you have
1: one daughter. So we have two daughters um what she's 20 the older one's 24 and then my son would have been 21 and then a daughter that turns 20 next week
0: so and how is that dealing with the other two
1: whew, okay so the older one uh she's she's able to process a little more um, she and her brother were not very close they you know kind of once again fought a little bit but she's she loves to hike she'll go on hikes and she'll take him with her and they'll sit up on the mountain and they'll talk and she's felt a lot of healing through that. And she's talked um, to her alma mater at her school, uh, given a couple talks about suicide because it is so important, especially for that age group. And that's allowed her some healing. The younger daughter at this point can barely talk about it. Yeah. And uh, a year ago, I would try to like, force conversations because you know I'm thinking you've got to deal with it at some point. And that created a lot of friction between us. And so finally, I said, for the sake of our relationship, I cannot force her to down a certain path. And so over time, uh, she, she at least doesn't leave the room when I say his name, which is a big step. Has she read my book? No, just like my husband has not read my book. But at some point, um, they will have their healing. You know, they're, they're doing better.
0: And I guess it's just to be aware of where they're at because yes. we are all at different levels. Yes. Even. And
1: allow them, allow them to be where they are. You know, they, they're, in the beginning, when I first started talking about this, I would talk to everybody. I, I was like, oh, you have got to know this. This is a concern. You know, I don't want you to be in my situation. And my family would say, mom, do you have to tell strangers about this? And I would say, yes, yes, I do. Whereas for them, they, they wouldn't even talk about it at home. So we had to come to the point where we each allowed the other to do what we needed to do to move forward. Their way. Yes.
0: yes. Um, do you, did you feel like, you know, the universe kind of told you that this would help you and this is what you should be doing?
1: Uh, I will say, um, I believe in God. I believe in a higher power, absolutely. And within just a couple of days, I literally I call it my mission from God. I, I literally have changed almost everything that I do. I'm completely focused on getting this message out. I'll talk whenever, wherever, let's talk about it because it's so important. And I I feel compelled to share this message, compelled. Like I cannot not talk about it. That's how much i feel it's it's important yes in you
0: so much yes
1: yes and like i said 20 months uh you know 20 months ago if you had said you're going to stand up and talk about suicide prevention i would have said no no way because of my father's situation right i couldn't even talk about it but when the need was great enough when i realized that my by not talking about it i could end up other kids could be hurt Right. That's, that's when it pushed me to say, I have got to do what I can.
0: And the difference between an adult doing it and a, and a teenager doing it shows you how you felt differently in both. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, for the most part,
1: most people didn't know how my dad died. You know, he was older. Uh, we, it, it started as a, as a car accident. And then, then, then after he was in the accident, he took the gun out and shot himself. Um, and so, you know, car accident, sort of like, oh, it wasn't his fault, right? Well, in my son's case, there was no car accident. There was pretty, you know, clear when all your neighbors see the, the paramedics and the firefighters and the police officers at your house all day, you know, there's, there's no hiding that.
0: No, even though you'd like to think you could.
1: And that's where I was, honestly, that first few days, I, I started into the black hole.
0: Yeah. And so, one suggestion for anyone that might be having to go through this during this tough time, you know, it's it's helped us in many ways, but it's also added another,
1: another adding, layer,
0: <laughs> another layer to, to people that are kind of on the edge. Mm-hmm. You know, what?
1: strip away those things that really don't matter. Go to the core, go to your relationships, be grateful develop those core relationships, nurture those relationships because they take work, right? And, and nurture them and be appreciative of those people in your life. Because at the end of the day, really, you you know, your boss is not going to call you and fill you with all this love and gratitude, et cetera. It, it's really going to come down to those people that are in your life and you're spending your time with and make those the most important priorities in your life. Um, once again, Big house, fast cars, dream trips, you know, they really matter when it's all said and done. It's the relationships.
0: And what would you say to someone whose friend has had something like this happen? Because no one knows how to approach the person.
1: You know what? You don't have to say anything. You don't have to have solutions or you don't even have to talk. Just say, I'm here for you. I'm hurting. I'm grieving. I'm grieving for you and with you. Sit with them. Whatever, and you need to be um, understanding to what they need. For the first few days, we really didn't want anybody to come over. We were grieving. We just wanted to cocoon. That's not the case for everybody. Other people I know have been like, "Come on over. Come to my house. Talk to me." If if they don't, you know, reach back out to you, don't take it as your personal slight. Like, oh, it's my, you know, that that. They're being mean to me or they don't want me. They're just trying to keep it together. And so just, even if you don't say anything, if they just know that you're there, sometimes that's enough.
0: Drop off dinner.
1: Yep, that's great. Honestly, we would have stopped eating. We just didn't even think about it. We didn't care. And our neighbors were so kind to provide dinner for us because we, we just didn't care.
0: And I think- not drop off groceries because
1: yeah, yeah. we won't do anything with them
0: <laughs> right it's they're, you know that's not really useful but i could mm-hmm. see dropping off casseroles and mm-hmm. full meals and yeah. for people and maybe a, a maid to come in and you know whatever you can do from your heart to to mm-hmm. help that person at, yes. during that time mm-hmm. so if yeah. they're not ready to talk then you know maybe wait until they are but they mm-hmm. will open up eventually
1: Exactly, and you just have to allow them the space. Don't try to force it. Just say, "I love you. I'm grieving," and and sometimes it's beautiful. If if like people that knew my son, I like talking with them. I like talking with them about my son. Uh, they share fun stories with me. Now that's what I like. Maybe that's not what everybody else likes, but that's what I like. So just you know, allow them to talk about this person who is very real and still exists for them.
0: Right. And I found um, with life insurance, when I would bring a check to the family, um, after a a passing, I found it very interesting how some families would have like an altar and and their bedroom was just like they left it. Um, You know, it was just like they were actually still there. Yes. Um, but, and then another family is like, they can't even go back to their house. Like they, they don't want to have anything to do with that whole thing. Um, nothing happened. Like they want to just erase it it off. Yes.
1: You know, and, and that's the thing you need to find some healing in that we, we still have my, my son's room. We've gotten rid of most of his stuff just because, you know, other people can use it. We have a few things that mean a lot. You know, he was an Eagle Scout. We have this Eagle Scout uh, statue that he got, that he earned this award. We have a few things in the room that, that just have special meaning for us. And so that we can, can, can know that he's still with us, right? But the room feels very good energy. It's not like, oh, don't go in that room. We're still in the same house. Um, the neighbors were so good to us. I, I joke with my husband. I'm like, we can never leave now, you know, because they were so kind to us. And, and it's been healing, you know, to, to just have that still there where I can appreciate sometimes, you know, like uh, some other people, it might be too hard for them to have, to have those memories there. And you just have to respect and allow them to heal as they would heal. But I will say that when I, when he passed away, I joined a couple of Facebook groups for parents who lost a child and it became quickly apparent that those parents who posted I still have my child's backpack right by the stairs where she left it when she died three years ago. They were spiraling. 20, there were people 20 years ago, my, I lost my son and he would have this and he would that. And they are very much living that life that would have still existed. Like that's all they see, that's all they know. And I quickly got out of those groups because I realized I was not going to be saying 20 months from now, 20 years from now, that same story i wanted to say yes this happened what did i do to make life better for those who went after me because there's lots more there's lots more you you can shut down or you can change the world just by staying in it
0: and you don't realize how many people up and down your street in your city in other cities around um especially you know, this year. Mm -hmm. So I always say, reach out to someone as soon as you stop listening to this podcast. Yes. and Honestly, you care just by
1: texting someone, just by reaching out, just by spending a few extra minutes with someone, letting them know that they matter by, by sharing your time and attention with them. That could change their life. That could mean the difference of them staying on the planet and deciding to end it. And if you have done that, you have changed the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lark. I can't believe we left it on such a great note too. And, that, and, that, and that's my point is like, yes, there was a
1: tragedy, but what can we find the beauty in this? And that's, I want to be positive. I want to say life's worth living.
0: Yeah. And to be there for each other.
1: Yes. Yes, we're all connected more than we ever knew, right?
0: Yeah, especially now.
1: <laughs> yes, especially now.
0: <laughs> Look at you, you're in Utah and I'm in Vancouver. That's so, right. <laughs> uh, it's, um, and, and to think that it's happening everywhere. Yes, it is. It's not uh, any isolation. And I, I think the people that are thinking of trying to get out of this dark hole for themselves, the, the problem is you don't even realize you're in it. Yes. That's the whole dilemma of the whole.
1: Yes. And I've been there. So I understand.
0: And I used to have people say, Tina, you're so strong. You can do this. I don't know if you got that. You're so strong. You you can do it. You know, you're, you're strong woman. No, I'm not. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not strong. And don't say that. (laughs) And and sometimes it's like,
1: you don't feel strong. You're just trying to function, right? You're just trying to to put the next foot in front of the other and just move forward. And it doesn't feel like strength. It just feels like trying to cope.
0: It's coping, it's agony, it's um, Mm -hmm. frustration. It's just a whole mess of whole bunch of feelings.
1: (laughs) Right, right, exactly.
0: No, but I really, really appreciate and I'm sure all our listeners will too. And I'd love to have an update uh, for you next year. That would be great. I'm going to be ordering your book and uh, I'm really looking forward to reading your journey.
1: Thank Um, you. I appreciate it. You know, I I hope it helps parents heal relationships with children before it's too late. I hope it helps the people who are grieving for whatever loss that they might've experienced, that they know that there's meaning and purpose and they can go on. And um, hopefully to those people that younger people or people that are considering suicide and, and help them to realize that, This is not an option. The people you leave behind will grieve for a long time.
0: And I think um, it's unfortunate there's not enough movies about it, because Mm -hmm. I think if you're in that dark hole, you don't know you're in it. Mm -hmm. But if you could visually see it from a movie's Mm -hmm. perspective, then it might say to yourself, oh, I didn't know. That's what I was thinking, too. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So yeah, I think everyone can have this little bit of help for each other of understanding of mm-hmm. all these different levels that we we do have. Exactly. Uh, for this mental condition that uh, we don't really know we have. <laughs> but we do. <laughs> but we all do in some shape or form. Yes. So thank you, Lark, for coming out today. I appreciate it so much. And I'm sure our listeners will be too. And we'll talk about next year having an update. Maybe it won't be during COVID anymore. Let's all hope that that's what's going to happen. And um, you've just gone through the elections and you've gotten through that whole time. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, don't think that it's just you guys because in Canada and around the world, we were all...
1: Yes, holding lived. your breath, right? Well, there was a meme going around that said, you know, all the Canadians think that they're living above a crack house. Yeah. So that was the joke down here. So
0: Yeah, we were eating our ki- our ketchup chips, going, oh, what's happening now? What's happening now?
1: <laughs> look, look at the redheaded stepchild down there. She's they're going crazy. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Lark, for all our listeners. I'm sure we all appreciate it. You're a beautiful, lovely woman who wants to share your passion and your love. And uh, I can only say we appreciate it.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tina.
0: You're very welcome. So I hope that we've inspired and motivated you guys to, from whatever angle that I'm sure you will either touch someone that's going through it, or you're going through it yourself, or know someone um, have a plan and be better prepared and uh, pick up that phone today and call. So, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay.